A lot of water, a lot of water in the kitchen. It's not cold, but hey, it's all right. It's cool you down. <clears throat> okay, so yeah, I'm gonna have to do something about that. Oh. Okay. So, public speaking 101. You want a good attention grabber when you first stand up. Of course, Will's already done that for me, but. <clears throat> so our our. Our big hook this morning, you just stand up like a good professional speaker and you say, demons. Everybody goes, ooh. And you got them. So here we go. We're going to try it. Demons. <laughs> yeah, see, y'all got it. Y'all know what's going on. Um, this morning, so much of what we're going to talk about has to do with demons and water. Just demons, though. We talked about water last week, right? So when I say the word, when I mention demons, how do you feel? What do you think? What's going on? I'm not asking for call-outs there. But I think we definitely run the risk in our culture, our sophisticated 21st century culture, to make one of two errors when we talk about demons. One is we just deny that they're real. That's easiest, right? Because we're much too sophisticated and smart to believe that there are supernatural beings beyond what we can see, beyond empirical science. You can't see demons or angels, so they must not be real. That's one danger that we run. The other is that we become obsessed with demons. And we're looking for demons around every corner, and when we can't get these cups separated, it's a demon. It's a demon's fault, I'm telling you. I don't think so. Today we're going to try to be as biblical as we can as we approach the subject of demons. And hopefully when we get to the end of our message today, um, we're going to be a little better informed. And actually the main goal is not to learn about demons this morning. The main goal is to understand that Jesus reigns over the powers of darkness, over the prince of the air. So our focus this morning is not demons. Our focus this morning is Jesus and His mastery and His authority over demons. So let me just be as clear as I can. Uh, Demons aren't worth our focus, but we need to learn about them. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 through 34 today. So if you would stand... As we receive this word, which is able to save us and to build us up and to encourage us because it is the very word of God. And when he, that being Jesus, came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tomb so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold... All the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, 
They begged him to leave their region. Let's pray. Father, we do want to fix our eyes on Jesus this morning. And by the power of your Spirit, we pray that you would help us to do that. God, give us the right information that we need and empower that information with that very same Spirit so that we might go out and show the world Jesus and His mastery over this present age and the age to come. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, we left last week with a bunch of slack-jawed disciples scared to death of Jesus. That's where we left last week. They had, Jesus had said, let's go across the lake to get away from the crowd. We're going to find out today it wasn't just to get away from the crowd. And they got out in the middle of the sea. Jesus is asleep on a cushion in the stern of the boat. And the waves and the wind decide to act up. And the disciples are scared. These experienced lake men have never seen a storm like this. And they wake Jesus up and they ask Him, Do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus got up and said, Be still. And the wind and the waves stopped. And there was a great calm. And then we saw that the disciples were muttering among themselves, What manner of man is this? That even the winds and the waves obey Him. And remember what the Greek word was for, for what they felt? Megas phobos. Great fear is what they felt as they stood there looking at Jesus. And He looked at them and said, Where is your faith? Oh, you of little faith. And that's where we left them. So today we pick up and we find them magically, imagine this, on the other side of the lake, which is where Jesus said they were going before they got in the boat. Get in the boat, let's go to the other side. Amazingly, they made it, right? Sometimes we just got to remember what Jesus said when we get in the boat to know that we're going to make it there. So, verse 28, And when He, I love that, and when He came to the other side, they were all there, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met Him coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. So, let's just piece together the last several hours for these disciples, okay? So they had been there and Jesus had healed a leprous man. The leprous man came up and said, if, if you will, you can heal me. Jesus said, I will. And they're like, whoa. He healed a leprous man. And then he went up the road a little bit and this centurion had sent this cadre up and said, hey, our master back at home, he's got a servant, he's paralyzed, Jesus says, I'll come heal him. The the centurion meets him far away from his house and says, you don't have to come into my house. I'm not worthy of you to be in my house. You just speak the word. I'm a man under authority. I understand how this works. If you just say the word, now keep that in mind. If you just say the word, my servant will be made well. Jesus marveled and said, I haven't found such faith in all of Israel. And I can just imagine him looking at his disciples when he said that. I haven't seen such faith. In all of Israel, he said, your servants will go home. And they were like, whoa, whoa. 
Then he goes to Peter's house, and Peter's mother-in-law is sick. She's laying in the bed with a fever. Jesus touches her. She gets up and starts serving him. It says they brought him all who were sick with diseases and demon-oppressed, and he made them well. And these crowds are gathering, and these disciples are watching all this happen. And Jesus says, hey, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. A couple guys come up, and they say, hey, I'll follow you anywhere. Jesus says, foxes have holes, birds have nests. Son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Another guy says, follow me. He says, let me go bury my father first. And so the disciples are now seeing all this power, all this authority. And then Jesus is saying that it comes with a cost. You don't just get to follow me on your terms. You don't just get to follow me when you want and how you want. Now let's get in the boat. And his disciples followed him. They get in the boat. The storm comes. They wake him up. He stands up. Peace be still. Calm. What manner of man is this? Now imagine the chatter or the lack thereof as they pull up to the shore here on the other side of the sea. Where are they? They are in the country of the Gadarenes. Now, I uh, had given the map before, and I don't have it back up there. I thought I did, but I don't. Um, but they had come kind of in a southeasterly manner from the tip of the lake down into the area of the Decapolis, the Ten Cities, the Gadarenes. This was not Jewish country. And actually, the Jews kind of looked at this area as, this is the place of the pagans. So they had left the comforts of home, And Jesus' power, they went out into the abyss that they saw as the place of the dead. They had this terrible storm. They got even more afraid of Jesus. And now they land in pagan country. And who comes out to meet them? Two demon-possessed men. Now, how's your day been? It's a little warm in here, right? Imagine these disciples. What is, I mean, they are just, they've got to be on overload. They stood in terror as they gazed upon their Lord, and now they pull in, just like Jesus said they would. And two demon-possessed men come out. (laughs) Okay, all right, Jesus, now what? Jesus is about to show them. I think it's interesting to note that they land in a very specific place. Now, they could have hit any part of the shore there, And they land in a place where nobody is around except two demon-possessed men and a bunch of pigs. And they got to be thinking, uh, what's going on here? The welcoming party is not very welcoming. These two demon-possessed men had made it to where nobody could come into that area, so it's just them. And I'm wondering if the disciples are thinking, really? I mean, really? This is what we get? We follow you, we we go through that storm, we see your power, and then we get here and this is what we get? After they were kissing the beach from being safe, they look up and there's two demon-possessed men there. We made it through all that we've made it through, we've seen all that we've seen, and this is what we get? But I want you to think about this. Is it possible? (laughs) The answer is yes. Is it possible that they were supposed to land right here. Is it possible that this wasn't an accident? Is it possible that when Jesus said, get in the boat, we're going to the other side, that Jesus had a place in mind? 
these two people in mind. Is it possible? I'd give it a good solid maybe. Actually, I'd say, yeah, this is exactly where Jesus meant to land. Jesus did nothing by accident. He says he only did what he saw his father doing. And his father's plan is to come to the other side of the lake, weather a gigantic storm, and land right here. And come in contact with these two men, oh, who just happened to be demon-possessed. God's plan is weird to us. It doesn't make sense to us. This is not what I would have drawn up. I would have left a crowd to go to a bigger crowd. I would have left the Jews to go to the Gentiles so that I could speak to them about the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples have got to be asking themselves, I think, what's going on? We talked here Wednesday, sometimes we don't like the will of God. Sometimes we are afraid of the will of God. And we pray what we want and then we say, but God, do do whatever you want to do. And we're going, oh no. Because whatever you want is two demon-possessed men. You want that? I can't imagine that these disciples were very excited or willing to walk in this will, in Jesus' will. I'm sure they're just scratching their heads saying, man, can I just go back home? Back to the text, sorry. We saw that two demon-possessed men came out to meet Him. They came out to meet Jesus. Here come two men. Men who were what the ESV calls demon-possessed. The original wording translates without the men part. They are too demon-possessed. Or more accurately, demon-oppressed or too demonized in the original language. And I just say that because sometimes we get caught up on this possession thing. And the point is these men are demonized. Possessed is not really a good translation And the ESV don't miss it much, but I think they miss it here. So the men part is added for clarity, and it makes perfect sense. But the word men's not in the original language. So these two demonized men are coming out to meet Jesus, it says. And where do they come from? Coming out of the tombs. Ew. I mean, even in Gentile country, tombs, okay? The Jews would have surely seen the tombs as a place of uncleanness and death. But these two guys see this boat coming across the lake and they make it their job to be the welcoming committee because there's nobody else around. And they come out of where they're staying, which was in the tombs. Again, not my ideal audience here. And the text is clear that nobody else is in the area because people couldn't pass by that way because of how fierce these two demonized men were. People probably talked about that area and those men and they probably said, don't go up near the tombs. Those two nuts are up there. And this is not Ernest T. Bass type of nuts, okay? Yeah, I heard, I heard they ate a guy the other day. I mean, yeah, people just talk, you know? Story gets bigger as the tale goes along or something. And it says that they were fierce, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And that word fierce means hard to approach, troublesome, dangerous, harsh, and savage. These guys caused problems and were a danger to other people to the point that nobody went that way. They were the bad part of town. 
Now again, take in the fact that this is where Jesus and His disciples landed. On a decent-sized lake after a storm-tossed night, this is the other side of the lake that Jesus talked about right here. Now I don't want to jump too far ahead in the progression of things, but this interaction right in this spot is the only thing that Jesus and His disciples are going to do on this trip to the other side of the lake. This is it. They don't spend any more time there. They don't serve or minister to anyone else. No other miracles, no great teachings, just this with these two guys right here. And if you're reading later parallel account, Luke only mentions one guy. So is that a problem? If there are two, there's one. Right? So be careful with that. Some people would read that and trip up and say, oh, but they're saying different things. No, they're not. Mark and Luke are just talking about the interaction that Jesus had with the one guy who talked probably. Two and one. Not a problem. Not a problem. We can talk about that more if you want to. I just don't have time to do it right now. So we'll stick to Matthew right now and say it's two. But just take that in. Jesus had a plan and a purpose for coming here and it was these two demon-possessed. Next verse. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now here we're going to supplement with Mark and Luke's account to fill in some blanks before we move on. And the main thing I want to bring in is the interaction between Jesus and these guys or Jesus and this guy. So here's Mark. Mark 5, 5-9. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. Now Luke's account. Luke 8, 28-31. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now, that's some information there, isn't it? So we get a little fuller picture of these guys, this guy from, this, from these two little blurbs from Mark and Luke. Let me just point out a few things that Mark and Luke say that Matthew doesn't. One of the main things is that the demons slash demons say that his, their, its name is Legion. For they are many. You don't have to work with me here, okay? So stay awake. It's hot. Matthew doesn't say that, okay? Now, a Roman legion was 5,000 soldiers. A Roman legion was 5,000 soldiers. Breathe that in for a second. Whether the demon was being literal or not... There are implication that there are thousands of demons in these two men. Thousands. 
Now, again, in our sophisticated day and age, we wrestle with this. Or is it real? Just a story? And we just pshaw it away as a myth. And, of course, that is to our great peril. Who is it that we are at war against? Guys, Christians, believers, we read it this morning. Ephesians 6. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Listen to me, Christian. You are wrestling against demons right now. I don't know. It's kind of hot. When Paul is talking about this in Ephesians 6, he is saying that we are wrestling against demons. And so let me say definitively, as clearly as I can say, that yes, absolutely, biblically, demons exist. And they war against us today. More on that in application. But for now, let's just try to understand one demon is bad news. And thousands are pretty much incomprehensible to us. And thousands of demons were possibly in these two men. So that's one thing from Mark and Luke. We also learned that at least one of these men had been kept in chains and bonds and broke them consistently with superhuman type strength. Have you ever seen videos of people on drugs that are breaking handcuffs and stuff? Mm-hmm. It's not just the drugs, y'all. Superhuman type strength against scary stuff. And the last thing I want to point out from Mark and Luke is this. Both say that the man fell down before Jesus. Now let's do that Greek work. That Greek word means that they prostrated themselves. They bowed themselves before Jesus. That means they worshipped Jesus, honored Him. That's what the word means. For bowed before, fell down before Him, bowed before Him. The demons bowed down before Jesus. Now say what? Now what drove that worship? The answer is fear drove that worship. From what Mark and Luke and Matthew all say, these demons were afraid of something when they saw Jesus. They were afraid of being tormented. Matthew says it this way, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? We'll get there in a minute. This is pregnant with meaning. First, these demons knew that Jesus was the Son of God. They knew it. While humanity, including Jesus' own disciples, wrestled with what manner of man this might be when they saw Jesus, the demons knew that He was the Son of God, which means that they knew that He was God in the flesh. They knew it. And they knew that since that was true, that He had authority over them and that one day they would be tormented or punished for their disobedience and rebelling against the Most High. Mark and Luke both record the saying as Jesus being called the Son of the Most High God. Let me go back to that. There we go. What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Now, I find that interesting. What was Satan's original sin? Pride. They say that Isaiah 14 is probably reflecting that very sin. 
You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Notice that. I will make myself like the Most High. And these demons call Jesus the Son of the Most High God. Interesting. But they were afraid that He he was there to torment them. And Matthew points out that they say torment them before the time. It's like a game of hide and seek when somebody counts to 100 really fast. Skip a few hundred. And they come and they find you before you're hidden. Right? That's what these demons are like. Oh no! Wasn't ready. These demons knew that there was an appointed time and they have an idea of what that time looks like and they know that this ain't it. So what are you doing here, Jesus? Our time's not up yet. Luke adds the detail that they were afraid that Jesus is going to send them into the abyss. This refers to the final judgment when Satan and his demons are cast into the lake of fire for good. And they know it's coming. The Bible says Satan knows that his time is brief. But they don't want it to happen right now. And so they ask for a favor, a compromise, if you will, with the Son of the Most High God. Since they knew that Jesus wasn't just going to give them a free pass when He came into contact with them. Verses 30 and 31. Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged Him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. So as this was going on, there's a herd of pigs away off. I'm sure the disciples who were fine practicing Jews were kind of disgusted by the pigs, right? Ugh, pigs. Jews don't have no dealings with pigs. They were unclean animals. They're not kosher. But the demons saw this herd of pigs as an opportunity. And they begged, get that, they begged Jesus to send them into the pigs if He cast them out of the men. Now, why would they do that? I'm not sure, okay? But there weren't any other people around. We've already seen that. So they didn't have any people to go into. And it seems as if that if a demon is going to be directly a part of the environment around them in the physical realm, they have to be in a physical form. And demons, like their boss the devil, want to still kill and destroy. And unless they have a host, they can't do that. Okay? Like a parasite, a virus. And it would make sense that if they could harm the pigs, it would be a way of adversely affecting the owners of said pigs. And if there are 5,000 demons, it would seem that there were plenty of pigs to go into. So, please, don't send us into the abyss. And if you are going to cast us out, and He is, let us go into them their pigs. Which again is weird. A little freaky. But Jesus didn't freaked out at all. Look at his reaction, verse 32. And he said to them, go. So they came out of these two men and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. Turns out pigs can't swim. Alrighty then. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the herd of pigs. And Jesus says simply, go. Now, do you see the authority here? Demons begging for permission. 
Jesus speaking a word and then it happens. Look at Jesus here. He's in firm control of a completely freaky situation. He's unfazed, he's unshaken, and he is directly directing everything going on. And that is especially pertinent considering what happened after the pigs got possessed. Possessed pigs. It's like a good barbecue name. Maybe y'all could do something with that, Rodney and Patty. It's like the hottest, you know, demonized. This is just hot. And behold, Matthew says, the whole herd of pigs rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. Now, why would Jesus let this happen? If he's in control, why didn't he just send them into the why didn't he? Why didn't he do something to save these pigs? Jesus not care about pigs? John MacArthur makes some pretty good observations here. I'm going to read a few sentences, okay? Several sentences, to be honest with you. He says, The lesson here is that Christ can cast out demons. Now if He says, Be gone, how are they going to know they went anywhere? How are they going to know they went anywhere, send them into somebody else? Well, then you've got the same problem over again. You've got demon-possessed people and there's nobody else around. Just your disciples. Back to the quote, sorry. You've got another demon-possessed guy. How are you going to demonstrate that they left? Just look at a normally peaceful herd of pigs. He says pigs don't usually swim and they're not sheep. They don't all go somewhere together. And watch two to 5,000 of them race toward a cliff, go off the edge and all dive into the water and drown. And the conclusion is something supernatural just happened. And if at the same split second you turn around and the two demonized individuals are sitting and as Mark says, clothed in their right minds, having a wonderful conversation with Jesus, the connection is readily, easily made. He concludes with this. You see, what he did was give a living demonstration of the deliverance of these two men that no one would ever forget. At the same time, it did demonstrate the destructive nature of demons. For when demons hit those pigs, instantly they were all destroyed. And I believe it gave the demons a preview of their own coming destruction. And if you're concerned about the pigs, MacArthur says, you've missed the point. There's a lot more pigs for folks. We can sacrifice a few thousand pigs for Jesus to maintain this demonstration of incredible power. MacArthur concludes with this, I believe that he wanted a living proof that those demons came out of those men and he sent them into those animals that those animals might put on a demonstration that nobody would ever forget. End of quote. And I just really felt that lengthy segment was worth reading. It really points out the significance of what just happened in our passage. In an unmistakable way, Jesus clearly showed his power over the demons, over the supernatural. And if you see this progression that we've went through, Jesus has power over diseases. Jesus has power over the natural world. And now we see clearly that Jesus has power over the supernatural world. And there was no doubt in anyone's mind who witnessed this event, demons included, no doubt who was in charge here. Total, complete control and in charge. And I'd say since Jesus stood up and told the winds and the waves to be still, His disciples had been in awe of them. And now, well now, they just had to be completely floored. Disarmed and plumb done. This guy, this guy Jesus, this guy's healed lepers, raised up paralyzed servants from miles away, spoke wellness to so many, calmed the storm, and now he had demons worshiping him. 
and begging him to let them go into pigs if he was going to cast them out, which he did. So just try to put yourself in the disciples' place. Everything they've witnessed over these last few hours. Oh yeah, and just imagine these two formerly demon-oppressed men. What do you think they were thinking about Jesus about right now? You reckon that they were in awe of Him? You reckon that they were thankful to Him? You reckon that they were worshiping Him? Weeping maybe? Giving glory to God? No longer cutting themselves, throwing themselves down, breaking bonds? Naked? Chasing people off? I'd say they were pretty happy. And their focus was on who had made them happy, and that was Jesus. But the question is, was everyone wowed? Well, yes and no. Last two verses. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. So the guys who were the pig herders, the herders of pigs, the pig herds, (laughs) shepherds, pig herds, I don't know, Anyway, they ran off into the city and relayed the account of what happened with the demonized men and the pigs. And wouldn't you know it, revival broke out. God gathered in a crop of souls. I mean, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw Him, they clapped and celebrated. Woo! And gave glory to God for such power and grace. No. Look at that. They begged Him to leave their region. Begged Him. Just like the demons had. They begged him to leave their region. Please get out of here. Please leave. Will you please get in your little boat and head off to the other side? Maybe you can catch a nap on your way back. Just just get out of here, please. Why? What had he done to them? Well, he had been the cause of a bunch of pigs dying, but that doesn't seem to be what's going on here. It doesn't say that they were angry about the pigs being dead. I think these folks had a bad case of the same thing that the disciples had when Jesus had calmed the storm. They were scared out of their wits. Luke tells us this in Luke 8, 37. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to part from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got in the boat and returned. They were seized with great fear. Just take a guess what Greek words great fear is. Megas phobos. They were just like the disciples in the boat. Megas phobos. These people were scared to death of Jesus. He freaked them out. Now let me ask you a question. Wouldn't you be freaked out? Who let the pigs out? Jesus did. Who? 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 These people were freaked out. They heard that Jesus had displayed power like they had never seen or heard of before. And when Jesus exhibits His power, He's either going to draw people to Him or He's going to push people away from Him. Jesus is going to push people away from Him. Hmm. 
And this just absolutely blew the doors off of these city folk. And in their minds, Jesus had to go, get out of here. You are not welcome here. You can't be owned. You can't be controlled. You can't be handled. You're too much. You're too powerful. So you got to go. And they begged him to leave and leave he did. After his one interaction with these two demonized men, done and gone. See it. Done and gone. Like our passage today. Like chapter 8 of Matthew. We're done with chapter 8. Done and gone. So now we've got to apply what we can from today. Three D's. Demons, determination, and dilemma. Demons, determination, and dilemma. Demons. Of course, you can't look at this passage today and not talk about demons. So what did we just learn from this passage about demons? From the passage, we learned that demons can inhabit people and animals. Okay? They can cause people and animals to do harmful things to themselves and others. They can make humans freakishly strong. Several can inhabit individuals, maybe thousands. Does that freak you out? Freaks me out a little. Anybody excited about coming up against a demon? I'm not. From the passage today, that's pretty much the extent of what we learned, and we're not done yet. But, but we did learn one other thing. Demons bow to Jesus' authority. And they know it. These demons referenced in the Matthew passage today gave clear indication who they were ultimately accountable to. And that's going to be huge for us if we're going to understand our place, our role as far as demons go. Because in and of ourselves, listen to me, in and of ourselves, we are weaker. We are inferior to demons. In and of ourselves. Hebrews 2 verses 6 through 8, referencing Psalm 8, says this. It has been testified somewhere. It's in Psalms, writer of Hebrews, just so you know. What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You, you made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now I'm putting everything in subjection to him. He left nothing outside his control. At present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. So for a little while, we as human beings in the physical realm are a little lower than the angels. What are demons? They're angels who followed Satan when Satan fell. So where are we according to, to this Hebrews passage to demons? We're a little lower. For a little while, we're lower than the angels. We are physical beings not made for the spiritual realm as we are. We have to be given a glorified body. We have to be changed, Paul would say when he talks about meeting Jesus in the sky. We have to be changed in order to inhabit the spiritual realm in our physical bodies. But right now, we're a little lower. We're not made for the spiritual realm as we are. Demons are spirits who inhabit a different realm, but can enter ours seemingly by influencing or inhabiting those in the physical realm. So we're a little lower than them. Now, here's the other thing too. Demons are better theologians than you are. They know the truth better than we do. 
James says in James 2.18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works and I will show you my faith by my works. That's not the right passage. Sometimes that happens. That's not the right passage. But anyway, the passage I was looking for says that even the demons believe that God is one and they shudder. The demons in our passage today knew exactly who Jesus was and what He was capable of, much more so it would seem than the townsfolk or even the disciples. So the demons are very potent theologians. And they're powerful. We see what they did through these two men. No one came that way out of fear of them. So they're powerful and they know their relationship to Jesus. So where does that leave us? Please hear me say this. It leaves us in a place where we are not to fear demons and we are not, are not, are not to arrogantly ignore or minimize them. Not afraid of them, but do not ignore or minimize them. As one who is in Christ, and this is for believers, if if you're not a believer, you're in trouble. If a demon wants you, it's probably going to get you. You've got no hope, you've got no defense. But in Christ, as one who is in Christ, as one who has the Holy Spirit of God in me, I am to embody the truth of 1 John 4.4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So we do not cower in fear of demons, knowing that Jesus is greater than any and all demons, even the devil himself. But we also don't misjudge them as if they had no power at all. I've heard people, these are arrogant people, talk about demons like they're stupid. Stupid demon. I showed him who was the boss. That's stupid. Jude talks about these kind of people in Jude 8 through 10, and he's giving an example of false teachers who are within the church who don't know the truth about demons. He says, Yet in like manner these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. These people are the ones who mock and taunt and inflate themselves over demons. And it's stupid and it leads to destruction, is what Jude says. They are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. No, we're not to be like them. We're to be like Michael. Mark, Michael's the archangel, one of the highest of the archangels, right? Who deferred to the Lord when he was dealing with the devil. He didn't stand and say, okay, devil, give me what you got. All right, devil, you got to answer to me because you're just a little peon. He didn't say that. He said, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. So what are we to do with demons? If that's what Michael the archangel did, how should we handle demons? We leave them to Jesus. We say the Lord rebuke you in Jesus' name. 
resting on His power and His authority, knowing that they know their place in His presence and their final destination by His doing. And what is their final destination? In the parable of the sheep and the goats, Jesus says this to those who are not followers of Jesus. Then He will say to those on His left, Depart from Me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That's their ultimate destination. Revelation 20.10, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's the ultimate end of demons. And so we defer to the name and the power of Jesus that they know they have to bow to if and when we ever deal with a demon directly. Anybody ever dealt with a demon directly here? I've not. That I know of. And I would say, don't go looking for them. And I'd say, don't be afraid to face them one because you are greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Rest on the power and authority of Jesus if you ever come across a demon. And you are wrestling with them. So rest in Jesus' name. So that's demons. Determination. I want you to hear me say something. This is exciting to me. Has his mind made up to seek somebody out? He's going to get him. If Jesus has his mind made up to seek out two demon-possessed men on the other side of the lake, he's going to get to the other side of the lake and he's going to find those two demon-possessed men and he's going to deal with it. If Jesus sets his sights on you, he's going to get you. You say, well, I, I need to choose Him. Do you, really? Yeah, you do, but I promise you, when He sets His sights on you, you're going to choose Him. No crowd, no leprosy, no paralysis, no fever, no storm, no demon from hell can keep Jesus away from the person He has set His sights on. That's good news. These two demon-possessed men were on Jesus' list. And everything in the world seemed to set itself against Him getting there. And He got there. And He delivered them. And He healed them. Because He determined that He was going to get them. We said it earlier, he went there, he did what he set out to do, and then he went back. This trip today was about two men who Jesus intended to deliver out of darkness. You know, one of the greatest prophetic utterances of our day is, he's like a mountie. He always gets his man. Zap. Sunseed. They knew what they were talking about. The four of you that have seen that video, you know what I'm talking about. Look up, look, oh, never mind. I'll share it on, on the website. For those of you that are going, I don't know what you're talking about. Jesus always gets his man. Jesus always gets his woman. John 6, 37 through 40. You want to talk about determination? All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. 
For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Now you want to talk about authority. You want to talk about determination. Jesus says, The Father is giving me people, and whoever comes to me I won't cast out. And I've come down not to do my own will, but the will of my Father. And His will is that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me. None of these people. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. Philippians 1.6 He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. You say, well, what, what, if, what, if, what, if, he's, what if I'm not on that list? What if He's not out to get me? I mean, I want to come. If you want to come, it's because you're on His list. And He's put that desire in your heart. You say, well, I don't have that desire. You better pray you get it. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And nothing in heaven, earth, or hell will stop Jesus from reaching those who want to come to Him. These demon-possessed men, they didn't want Jesus to come to them. Jesus showed up and all of a sudden they wanted Jesus. That's how it works. Can't you see the lengths that God will go to to get His man? Think about Moses. All that happened with Moses. Moses gave a hundred reasons why he shouldn't be the man and God said, Moses, it's going to be you. You could try to pull a Jonah, right? Jonah, go to the Assyrians. Nope! I'm going to go to the Spaniards. No, you're not. God is sovereign over well vomit. Jonah would testify to that. God was going to reach the Assyrians and God was going to use Jonah to do it and he could run as far and as fast away as he wanted to and in the determination of God, a bleached looking Jonah showed up to the Assyrians saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What about Paul's conversion? Paul wasn't looking for Jesus. But Jesus set his sights on Paul. And he determined that Paul was going to be his minister. Paul was going to suffer much for Jesus. Last example I'll give you. What about this guy in Philippi, the, the Philippian jailer? He was on Jesus' list. Paul had to go to jail for the Philippian jailer to be saved. The doors busted open. Jailer's like, oh shoot, I'm dead. They're going to kill me because all my prisoners are gone. Paul says, hey, don't do, don't do yourself harm. We're all here. We're just singing praises to Jesus. And the Philippian jailer says, what have I got to do to be saved? God sent Paul to jail so the Philippian jailer could be saved. It's determination. Nothing, nothing, nothing that God won't do to get you to Him if you are His. That's good news. I don't feel like good news. What if He doesn't want me? Then you got a dilemma. Demons, determination, dilemma. 
A dilemma is when you've got a problem that has two solutions, two possible solutions, only two. Die, two. You've got two possible solutions to your problem today. You've got two possible solutions to coming into contact with what we've come into contact with today. And the question is, what will you do when faced with the decision of who Jesus is? Because that's what this is all about. Who is Jesus? It's a dilemma for all of us. What will you do when faced with the decision of who Jesus is after seeing this display of His power and His Godness? See, you've only got two choices. Either Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, which means that He's worthy of your time, your life, and your worship, or He's not. Either He is or He isn't. And if He isn't, you don't deserve, He doesn't deserve for you to give Him the time of day. It's one or the other. C.S. Lewis put it this way. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept His claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say, Lewis says. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus stood in front of these demon-possessed men, 5,000 possible demons, and said... Go! And they went exactly where he told them to go. And the only reaction that we see is the reaction of the townspeople who knew what Jesus had done, they knew of his power. And they begged him to leave out of fear of what and who he is. And you know what? Today, you have that same choice. And you say, well, I haven't seen his power like that. Have you not? You heard about it today. And look around you. He made the earth and all that is in it. He gave you life and breath and has shown His glory all around you. He laid down His life on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. He came back to life after three days. He showed Himself alive over a period of 40 days to over 500 people. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God where He reigns with absolute authority. And in hearing that, you have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ which is the very power of God unto salvation for all those who believe. So what are you going to do with it? You've got a dilemma. i got a dilemma. Will you be like the disciples who saw Him and feared Him? Yes, but continued to follow Him. Or will you be like the townspeople we saw today who see His power and beg Him to get out of of my life.
There's no middle ground. Either you follow with fear and trembling and worship and love and adoration, or you say, get out of my face. I don't ever want to see you again. You scare me. I can't control you. What are you going to do with Jesus today? Because that's the question we have to ask ourselves. That's our final question today. Because it comes down to this. Either Jesus is the Son of God, the Son of the Most High, or He's not. This will ultimately determine your eternity. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So your dilemma is this. Is Jesus the Son of God or not? If He is, worship Him. If He's not, just ask Him to leave. He'll leave, unfortunately. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. I'll finish with Romans 10, 9 and 10. 10, 9, 10, which is cheesy TNT to the devil. It's power. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. May we all be saved by His grace and His power. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would all be impacted and confronted with the power of Jesus Christ today. Help us to know that He is the ruler over the demons. Help us to know that He has determined those who would be His and He has set His sights on us. And maybe now in this early afternoon, God, somebody is filling the pole, somebody is hearing the call. And they see that Jesus is determined to have them, to get them, to love them, and to save them. Would you help them to bow down and worship Him and say, You are the Lord, You are the Christ, You are the Son of the living God, and may their dilemma be solved today. And for those of us who have had this dilemma solved for us already, may we see afresh the power of Jesus over demons. May we praise Him and worship Him for the determination that brought us into His kingdom. And it was His determination. And may we worship Him as well. Help us to be those who never take this for granted and who give the glory where the glory is due. And that's at the feet of the Son of the Most High God. Help us, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll just stand and receive a benediction. 1 Thessalonians 5. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And all God's people said. Amen. Stay and eat with us if you can.